Well, without further ado, we'll jump into part seven of our FAQ series. We've been doing this series on frequently asked questions, frequently argued questions, frequently avoided questions uh, over the last quite a few weeks. And it, it seems like it's flown by to me, man. I've enjoyed this series so much as you guys have submitted questions and we've been able to group them along different topics. Um, and I can't believe it's almost over. Next week, we will wrap up with uh, part eight, miscellaneous questions. We're just gonna hit the stuff that we haven't had a chance to hit yet. And so they'll be on a, a whole wide variety of topics next week. And it'll kind of be rapid fire, lightning round style next week. I won't be able to go real in depth, but this week we're going really in depth on a few questions. Um, our guidelines for the series, if you haven't been with us or just for way of review is, is number one, where the Bible speaks clearly, we're gonna speak clearly. Uh, number two, when the Bible gives us a principle, we'll seek to apply that pr principle. And then finally, um, when the Bible is silent, I'll give you my opinion. But when it's my opinion, I'll tell you it's my opinion. You don't have any obligation to, to obey my opinion. We all have an obligation as believers in Jesus to obey his word. Uh, and so I'll do my best to, to help when the Bible doesn't speak. But thankfully, today's topic, I don't think there's much uh, that the Bible doesn't speak on. Today we're talking about prayer. Uh, and I actually phrased it part seven, questions about talking to and hearing from God. One mistake I think we make as modern Christians is we think that prayer is just talking to God. Uh, we make this communication one way, that I'm just going to talk to God. I'm going to tell God something. I'm going to tell God what I need. And I really believe that prayer is both talking and listening. It's both going before him and making our requests known, both going before him and worshiping him and honoring him, but it's also tuning our ear to hear what he has to say back to us. Because how many of you know that God speaks to his people? So, so huge, such an important thing for us to understand. So without any more delay, let's dive in. Question one for the day is, how do I pray effectively? I know the Bible promise, or provides many prayer examples, but I also know prayer is very personal. Today's world is so pressurized. How can I keep a balanced prayer life what does effective day-by-day day and effective desperate need prayer look like? This person submitted this question about six weeks ago, so I know that they've been waiting for us to get to their question. It came in right at the beginning of the series. Um, such a great question, and, and the one word that really jumped out at me from this question is effective. The, the first line of the question was, how can I pray effectively? And then this individual talks about how life can be so pressurized and, and, and prayer needs to be personal. And then they wrap it up here twice on this last part of the question. What does effective day-by-day -day prayer look like? What does effective desperate need prayer look like? This person wants to pray effectively. I, I imagine if we were to pass the microphone around, most of us, if we are followers of Jesus, would, would say, you know what? I want to pray effectively. I know a lot of times, like for kids, we start teaching kids these kind of memorized prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep, or good God, let's see, you know, like we've, we've memorized these prayers, uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not telling you not to do that, but I believe those prayers are not super effective. Uh, most of the time, they're, they're just recited. We're not speaking from our heart. We're just kind of saying something, uh, and, and effective prayer is where we want to be. I want to be somebody that when I pray, God responds. I want to be somebody that I know when I'm praying that, that I'm not wasting my time, I'm not talking to air, but I know that God actually hears what I'm saying and that I'm building that relationship, I'm building that trust with him. And I'm sure every single one of you in this room feels the same way. Sign me up for an effective prayer life. So how do we get there? What does that look like? Well, 
there's one passage of scripture in particular that I think is very applicable here. And it's James chapter five. And in James chapter five, the, the brother of Jesus, this pastor of the church in Jerusalem is, is writing to his people, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, he says, is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Anybody in trouble? He says, pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. We need to celebrate what God's doing in our life. Then he goes on, he says, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Not might make the sick person well, not could make the sick person well, not will hopefully make the sick person well. Will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So four times in these six verses, we see prayer working. The elders of the sick pray over, uh, the, the, the elders of the church, they lay hands and anoint with oil the sick, and the sick person is made well. It says that the prayer of a righteous person is, is powerful and effective. It says that Elijah prayed that God would withhold the rain so, so to make this statement to Israel, to bring Israel back to him, and that God withheld rain for three and a half years. And then I, I, Elijah prayed again, God let it rain, and God sent the rain. So four times in six verses, we see prayer go up to heaven, and heaven responds. The prayer is effective. Do you want that kind of prayer life? Don't you want that kind of access to God? Don't you want to see that God is moving in your life in that same way? I know that I do. So how do we get there? Well, I, I can't give you 100% of the answers. I'm definitely on that journey and that process myself. But I, I do think that we can have an impactful prayer life. I think that we should have an impactful prayer life. I think our generation, our culture, our country needs us to have an effective prayer life. So how do we get there? Well, I want to offer a few thoughts on some steps that we can take to get to that place. First thought I have for you on effective prayer is effective prayer is effector-oriented, not just effect-oriented. I'll unpack that for you because I know those words may be kind of foreign to you. Um, Tommy Tenney put it this way. He said, seek God's face, not just his hands. Others have said many times that we need to seek the giver, not just the gifts. In other words, if my prayer life is primarily focused on what I need from God, it's going to be probably pretty ineffective. But if my prayer life is primarily focused on getting to know God, uh, on honoring God, on worshiping God, if that's the foremost purpose of my prayer life, then, then the rest of it should come pretty easy. If you read the New Testament, most of the time, they didn't go before God for days and weeks and months. Most of the time, they just put something out there and God answered. Peter looks at the guy and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Like, why? Because he already had the relationship. He was already right with God. The prayer of the righteous person was powerful and effective. Peter took care of, of the relationship with God. And so all he had to do was speak and, and, and exercise the authority that God had given him. Uh, to me, this makes a lot more sense now as a father. So my son, Judah, his favorite thing in the world are bananas. 
he uh, he like he calls them nanas, but he speaks in like an affectionate tone he doesn't have for anything else. Like if he sees a banana, he's like nana. Like like he has like this soft spot in his heart for a banana, and he knows where we keep them. So he has a banana for breakfast every morning. Uh, but yesterday there was like four more times throughout the day where he was in the kitchen and he'd be like nana nana. Like he just wanted seven bananas. Like he'd have been happy if the, he'd be thrilled if that's all he ate. Uh, and we don't let that happen. We just give him one a day. But but he loves those stinking nanas. He is all about them. And, and so as a father, I know that I need to give him what's good for him. I need to give him what's best for him. But I also, there, there are going to be times where I'm more receptive to just giving him what he wants than others. So last night, we'd had a long day. We'd done a bunch of yard work. We'd made multiple trips to Lowe's and, and put in like a full day. And so last night, we were sitting on the couch for just a minute before I had to put him to bed. And he got up on the couch with me. And he put his head in my lap. And it was like just this awesome moment with my kid just, just crawled up in my lap. And I guarantee you, if he'd have looked at me at that moment and said, Nana, I'd have been like, I don't care if Mama said no. We're going to get you a Nana. Like, I'm going to give you anything that you want. Because in that moment, like, he, there, there was an intimacy. There was a bond. There was something going on there. Um, and, and so he wouldn't have had to beg me. He wouldn't have had to, to ask me. He wouldn't have had to just throw a temper tantrum. He would have had whatever, I'd have done any, I'd have moved heaven and earth to get that kid whatever he wanted in that moment. And and I think that's what God wants from us. I think if we, if he just knows that he has our heart, if he just knows that we're seeking him and not just the stuff that he can give us, that we're not treating him like the cosmic genie or the universal Santa Claus, but but he's actually somebody that we want to know him, he's going to move heaven and earth for us. He's going to unload all of his goodness and all of his grace and all of his power and all of his, everything he's got for his kids. I think it's incredible that that the illustration that God uses for his relationship to us is that of a father. He could use any and there are others that he uses too, but the primary thing that he wants to be known as for your life is he's your father. He's Abba. He's daddy. I think there's a significance in that. I think that teaches us something about his heart towards wanting to bless his kids. Uh, and so we got to quit just looking for stuff. We got to quit just going for him when, when we're sick or, or when we lost a job or when something's going wrong. I'm not saying not to go before God in those situations. But I'm saying build a relationship with him. Um, here, here's what I would have for you to write down in your notes on this. Instead of asking, how can I get God to answer my prayers better? Ask this, how can I get to know God better? Because if you get to know God better, I think automatically your prayers will be more effective and they will be answered more easily. Um, So let's seek him. Let's seek the effector, the one who can do things in our life, not just the effect. Second thing I would say is effective prayer is faith-filled. It's faith-filled. When we study scripture, man, these people... They go before God with these massive requests, right? They ask God for ridiculous things. So we'll just use Elijah because he's the illustration here in James chapter 5. Elijah asked God to stop the rain, not so that they could get a ball game in at 7 o'clock, but for three and a half years. You know how audacious your faith has to be to ask God to shut down the valves of, of the clouds for three and a half years and God actually do it? That's nuts to me. And then how easy it would be to have the, faith, have the doubt, well, maybe this wasn't really because of me. Maybe a drought was coming anyway. And, da, da, da. and then he goes back before God and says, hey, will you let it rain? And God answers that one too. That's some serious faith. My belief is that Christians today, we are far too often play, praying much too small prayers. 
God wants us to stretch our faith. God wants us to believe him for some bigger things, for some greater things. God wants to impact a generation and a culture through you. And how often is our prayer life, man, I just want to get through this line quicker, right? Like how, how often is that our prayer life just so simple and so basic or just, just be with me today, just watch over me. Well, guess what? He's already with you and he's already watching over you. You can thank him for that. But, but let's go before him for some stuff that we actually have to see something happen, that God actually has to, has to do something to answer our prayer. I believe effective prayer is faith-filled. Third, I believe effective prayer is intentional. It's intentional. What, what I mean by that is a couple of levels. First, it's intentional in that the, the most effective people that I know in, in prayer are the people who have the daily discipline of going before God. Um, they set aside time. Brother Jim Weidman, who was our children's pastor at Church on the Move when I was there, uh, I still remember as I was an intern, he came in and taught us a session, actually on time management. But one of the things he said in the session on time management was he makes appointments on his calendar with God. He carves out 30 minutes right there. That's the point in time where I'm going to spend time with God. He says, because if I don't, then there's going to be a phone call. Somebody's going to interrupt. Something's going to happen, and I'm not going to get my time in with God. So I carve it out like it's there on my calendar so I can see it that I'm setting time aside for God. I think that's so wise because I've been very guilty of, of good intentions, right? I think most of us in this room, we have good intentions to spend time with God. I don't think most of us walk out of here after hearing a message about spending time with God. and You're like, nope, I'm not going to read my Bible. Prayer is stupid. Not for me, right? Like that's not us. Like, man, that's what I want. I want that effective prayer life. I want to read the word. I want to be strengthened. But then... Life happens, and distraction happens, and, and, and all this other stuff happens, and, and we never make it work. So effective prayer is intentional. I'm setting time aside. I know when that time's going to be. I'm going to make an appointment with Jesus, and I'm going to spend some time with him. Uh, but, but it's not just intentional on the daily level. Um, I, I think it's also intentional to, to do some things to get out of routine and out of rut. In other words, I think it's important for all of us at certain times to say, you know what, maybe my spiritual life isn't really what I want it to be right now. Maybe when I do go before God, it's kind of just, kind of just feel like I'm just talking. I don't feel like anything's happened. I'm kind of dry. And we all go through dry seasons. But when you hit those dry seasons, step up your intensity. The, the thing we do is we hit the dry season and we stop. But what actually needs to happen is, is we need to step it up. And so what I mean by that is you, you take a Saturday and you go hike in the woods and you get alone with God for an hour out in the woods. You do something out of the norm or you go out on the lake and you catch fish and you talk to Jesus the whole time. Or For me, it's just outside. Outside is just the place for me to connect with God. Maybe there's something, uh, something else that works for you. Use what works for you. Uh, but maybe that's worship. Maybe that's prayer. Maybe that's reading. Whatever it is, like s press in to, on a much deeper level than just that day-to-day stuff. Uh, here at City Church, every January, we do a 21 year, or 21 year, no, we do a 21 day Daniel fast. Let me correct that real quick. Uh, why? Because it's January and everybody wants to get in shape? No, that's just totally coincidental. We do a 21 day Daniel fast because we want to start our year out by pressing into God's presence, by reading much more than we normally do, by praying much more than we normally do, by tuning back in to the voice of God because all the stuff of the holidays and the distraction and everything else. I think it's a great thing to do, but I wouldn't say, man, just wait until January. Man, do something intentional to step out of what's comfortable, to step beyond what's normal, and really press in to God's presence. Number four, effective prayer is primarily God-focused, then others-focused, before it's self-focused. 
If, if you look at the model prayer, Jesus gives us this exa- example of prayer. The disciples come and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They were Jews. They'd heard prayers their whole life. It wasn't that they didn't know how to talk to God. They just didn't know how to talk to God like Jesus did. They said, man, when you pray, stuff happens. So you teach us to pray because whatever we've been taught before, it ain't working like what we want it to work. And so Jesus gives them this model, and, and I don't think he gave it the Lord's Prayer to where you would recite the Lord's Prayer every day. I think he was giving us principles for us to use in prayer. And it's not a bad thing to recite the Lord's Prayer by any means, but, but, but he gives us the stuff. And so how does the Lord's prayer, prayer start? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, it's God-focused. He's honoring God before anything else. He's not, hey, God, I need this, or yo, God, this is the problem in my life. It's, it's, it's God-honoring. I know sometimes in kind of contemporary Christian culture, we, we kind of dumb things down and make it real casual. And I, I don't think there's anything, I think you have to dress formal or anything like that. But I do think God is worthy of honor. He's worthy of reverence. And, and there's something about going before him and saying, God, hallowed be your name. You're different. You're other. You're better. You're beyond me. You're not just my buddy. You're not just my BFF. You're God. And I'm going to honor you for who you are. And I think that's very significant. Uh, And so it starts out God-focused, and then it moves not to me-focused, it moves to we-focused. He says, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. It would have been very easy for Jesus to say, I and me, to make it singular, but he made it plural. How often are we praying us prayers? Not a lot, right? Like we, American, we are taught, it's me. It's all about me. I'm going to pray for me and in personal and, and I might pray for so-and-so and so-and-so, but, but the majority of my prayers are all about me. But Jesus says in the model, you need to be praying some we prayers. What if well, we have on a given Sunday, 140 to 160 people here at City Church? What if 150 City Church people walked out after this Sunday between our two services and said, you know what? I'm going to start praying we prayers. I'm not just praying for myself anymore. I'm going to pray for those people who sat next to me in church. I'm going to pray for those people behind me. I'm going to pray for the people that I serve with in Kids City or the people that I serve with in First Impressions or media or worship. I'm going to pray for the people in my city group. What if we expanded it just beyond me and my family to we? What would happen? What would the impact be if Jimmy was praying for Tim all week? And if Jenny was praying for Darius, and if Darius was praying for Grant, what would the difference be in our lives if we just linked arms together and said, you know what, I'm going to start praying some we prayers. I'm going to start praying some us prayers instead of some me prayers and just my family prayers. I'm not saying don't pray for yourself or don't pray for your family. Absolutely do. But let's step beyond that. So so effective prayer is primarily God-focused first, then it's others-focused, and then it's self-focused. Next principle for you is effective prayer is full of God's word. It's full of the word of God. Jeremiah 1.12, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Another translation says, I am watching over my word. In other words, when it comes back to him, when, when you pray God's word to him, you're not like, telling him something he doesn't know. It's not like, hey, God, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is what the Bible says. Um, he knows it. Uh, it's not that you're reminding him. What you're doing is you're activating your faith because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm activating my faith when I pray the word, uh, but I'm also telling God, I believe your word. This is what your word said, and I believe you and I trust you. So now I'm believing that this is going to happen. 
So effective prayer is full of the word of God. And that might mean we got to start reading our Bible. We're going to be more effective in our prayer life. We actually have to open that thing up and set some time aside. And again, I know that everybody in here probably wants that. But I also know how many people, like if our percentages at City Church are the same as the percentage of an average Christian, you guys hear that and it goes one in one ear and out the other. There's no impact in going and studying the word as far as the average city church attending. I don't want us to be an average church. I don't care about our size. I don't care about any of that, but I don't want us to be a church of average Christians. I want us to be a church that loves Jesus. I want us to be a church that has effective prayer life. The average American of prayer life is not very effective. I don't want us to settle for normal. I don't want us to settle for average. God has got something better for us than that. He's got something better for you than that. He's got something better for me than that. So effective, effective prayer is full of the word of God. Last thing I would just say on effective prayer very quickly is just a little recommendation is read up on prayer and, and seeking God. In other words, don't just read the word, although you, that's got to be part of the process. Don't just pray for this stuff. Don't just put these principles in place. But, but if you really are like, hey, I need an effective prayer life. My, my prayer life's not where I want it to be. I would recommend that you go out and get one of these books. I'm going to give you five books. Uh, that, that I highly recommend that on prayer and seeking God. The first is Too Busy Not to Pray by Bill Hybels. We actually did a series with that title a few years back. You can find the podcast at citychurchob.com. Uh, it, I think it'll encourage you a lot. But don't just settle for the podcast. Get the book and dive in. Uh, one that I read just when I got out of college, it's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Now, this is one if... If you're not real good with the English, this is probably not the book for you. Because uh, the book is a lot of big words. It's complicated. It's, it's a strenuous read. Um, really, 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 really good. Highly recommended, but it's going to stretch you. If you're like, yeah, that's probably beyond me, then there's another one that's similar. That's kind of like The Pursuit of God for Dummies. It's called God Chasers by Tommy Tenney. Uh, and anybody in this room can handle that one. Um, so uh, I, I think Pursuit of God is a better book than God Chasers, uh, but they're both very good. And, and again, we want to make sure everybody can access this stuff. Um, number four is uh, Sun Stand Still. By Pastor Stephen Furtick, it, it takes one example of a massively audacious prayer in Scripture where, where Joshua goes before God and says, let the sun stand still. Don't let the sun move. He didn't even know how the, how the physics world worked, but it didn't matter. God honored his prayer anyway, um, and Israel won a great victory that day. Um, and he just takes that prayer and uses that model to teach us how to go before God for big things. It'll encourage you. It'll wreck you. It, it'll challenge you. Um, love, love, love that book. And then lastly uh, is Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Batterson. In fact, this one I have not read all the way through. Um, I've only read parts of this one, but the parts that I've read are phenomenal, and everybody I've talked to who's read it love it, and I've just been lazy and not read it. So <laughs> I need to get my stuff together and finish reading Circle Maker. Um, but again, uh, great, great principles when it comes to prayer in all five of those books. And there are others out there too. That's just a, a, an example. But if we want to push beyond where we are, Sometimes that means we got to step out of what's comfortable and what's normal and the rut and the routine that we're in. Um, I know some people never read a book after they graduate high school. Like the, I think it's like 80% of Americans don't read a book after graduating high school. You say what? That, if you graduate. Um, I love you, Taylor. Uh, yeah, you're going to read. You might think that's going to be you, but we're going to challenge you. We're going to push you to keep developing yourself because uh, you're better than that. Um, we can do better. Say what? 
She likes to read. She was just joking. She says, all right. Um, question two, moving on from that. Hopefully that'll give you some, some practical stuff you can do. Uh, today's just all about being practical. I'm just going to throw a ton of information at you. I hope you brought your notebook. If not, you're going to have to probably go back and listen to this podcast because I got a lot, a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. But question two, how do you know what God's calling you to do? How do you know what God's calling you to do? What a significant question. As a, as a follower of Jesus, who in this room ha, has never wrestled with that question? If you've never wrestled with it, you probably haven't been a follower of Jesus for very long. Um, if, if you desire to honor God with your life, if you desire to be who he wants you to be, this is, this is one of those core questions. Um, again, I don't have all of the answers, but I can point to some, some principles and some truth in scripture to help you find out what God's calling you to do. Uh, the first thing you need to do is trust that God wants to speak to you. He does. God doesn't just want to speak to your pastor. God doesn't just want to speak to that spiritual mentor in your life. God doesn't just want to speak to that person that you see who's further along as a Christian than you. God wants to speak to you. In fact, look at the person next to you and say, God wants to speak to you. Look at the person on the other side and say, God wants to speak to me. God wants to speak to you. Hebrews 11.6 famously says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But there's no period there. We always stop there and we just throw that out there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it goes on. It says it's impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists. I think we got that one covered. Number two, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know that God rewards those who earnestly seek him? It doesn't say God, God rewards those who casually talk to him every other Sunday. God rewards those who earnestly seek him, who are sincerely pursuing him, who sincerely want his best for their life. And if you will do that, I guarantee you, you're going to start hearing him speak. Here's what I believe. I believe the problem is not that God's not speaking. I believe the problem is that we don't know how to listen. That's really the issue. I think if you're a Christian, God is speaking to you. He's deposited his Holy Spirit in you. He lives in you. He's talking. The problem is we just don't know how to tune in. So, so really, how do we tune in to what God is calling us to do? Number one, believe that God wants to speak to you. Number two, sell out to Scripture. Sell out to Scripture. Here's how this oftentimes works. Um, we want this, this specific revelation. God, what did you create me to do? God, what is my purpose? We get high school seniors, we're graduating, you know, we're honoring them next week. A lot of times this is that point in life. God, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I going to major in? What is my career going to be? How am I supposed to honor you? And those are good questions to ask. But a lot of times we get to that specific, what I would, that's what I call specific revelation. What, what does God have for me? In other words, God has some specific things for me that he doesn't have for Elena. He's got some specific things for Elena that he doesn't have for Caleb. He's got some specific things for Caleb that he doesn't have for Dan and on and on and on, right? Like there's some specific things that God's calling you to, some specific lives he's calling you to impact, some specific difference you're called to make that nobody else is going to make. But there's also general things that apply to all of us. And that's where the word of God comes in. That's why I say sell out to scripture, because so often we want to hear the specific while we ignore the general. And that's not the way that it works. The people who hear the specific most clearly are the people who sell out to the general most fanatically. Sell out to scripture. What do you know the Bible tells you to do? What are you not doing that the Bible tells you to do? Start there. Start there. What do you know that's in your life that, that God's already told you you need to get rid of? Start there. Start with what you already know and work on those things. And as you get those things lined up, you're going to hear his voice so much more clearly. 
we all know that, that God wants us to spend time with him. And I keep coming back to this even more than I did in first service. So somebody here has got to hear it. Uh, I just feel like I'm supposed to keep harping on that. We're supposed to spend time with him. We know it, and we don't. Start there. Start spending time with God. Uh, we know that we're supposed to serve others. Maybe we're not doing that. Start there. We know that we're supposed to give generously, honor God in the tithe. If you're not doing that, start there. We, we know that we're supposed to, to love people. We know that we're supposed to forgive people. Maybe you've got unforgiveness in your heart. Start there. Start with that thing that you already know is not just for you, it's for all of us. The general revelation. Start with Scripture. Sell out to that. And as you sell out to Scripture, the specific revelation is going to be a lot easier to come to. Number three, and this is especially for young people, but for all of us. Don't put so much pressure on yourself to find a lifelong calling. I think one of the biggest disservices that, that people like me do is we'll share a story of how God called us into ministry and that people get this idea that you're supposed to have this one like dramatic calling and God's going to show up on your doorstep and say, you're supposed to do this with the rest of your life. And then you never have that experience and you feel like God doesn't love you or care about you or that somehow there's something wrong with you. Um, I, I do believe that God can call some people very specifically to something for their life, but I think far more often than that, God moves in seasons. Um, it's a principle, the, the older I get, the more that I see it in Scripture, that God moves in different seasons in people's lives. You know, Moses didn't become Moses until he was in his 80s. He had a season out in the desert as a shepherd. He had a season in the palace. He had seasons. If you start studying the people in Scripture, most of them didn't just do one thing for 60 years. They had different seasons of life where God did this and this and this. And it might have been preparing them for something ultimate, but they may probably didn't know what that ultimate thing was for the majority of their life. So sell out to the season. Embrace the season. You might be in an educational season. Embrace that, that season and get as much out of that season as you can. You, you might be in, in a season where, man, you just got married, and, and that's a season to focus on your marriage. You might be in a season where... You stepped into a new ministry, and you know that God's got this thing for you. Man, whatever that thing is that you're in right now, embrace that season. But don't put so much pressure on yourself to, to know everything that's got to happen forever. Ephesians 3.1, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says very famously, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Embrace the season. Sell out to the season. Don't feel like you have to have the next 70 years of your life mapped out. Because everybody that I know who had the 70 years mapped out, like it was wrong anyway. Um, God's going to do something that you don't expect. He's going to bring something in your life that you don't expect. And that's okay. And that brings us to number four. Follow God's direction the best you can while understanding his direction might ultimately lead somewhere totally differently than you think it will. Uh, when when I got, first got my call into ministry, Thought I was going to be a youth pastor. Like, that was going to be it. I was going to be a youth pastor for life. I was sold out to it. Pursued youth ministry uh, as my major. I, I did an internship for youth ministry. All of this stuff because I wanted to be the best youth pastor I could be. I had a heart for young people. Uh, I wanted to serve this generation. I believed that God was calling me to that, and I sold out to it. And I was right. But where I was wrong is that was only something God had for me for a season. And I'm so glad that I sold out to it for that season because that season not only allowed me to to, to – connect with some very incredible young people and so many of you in this church came up through our youth ministry and I'm so grateful for the times that I had with you and the guys the way you guys served and the way that you sold out to what we were doing uh, one of the greatest times in my life but I didn't know that that was going to actually be a season of preparation in me where God was preparing me for something else that I had no idea he was going to do I especially had no idea I was going to be pastor here that was never on my radar never even something I conceived was going to be possible 
but it was God's plan. And, and so let me encourage you, sell out to the season, but don't think that you have to understand how it's going to connect to the next. God's going to make those connections when it's time. My, my wife, God took her to Oklahoma to do an internship for two months, and then the internship got canceled. She was heartbroken, devastated. For four years, she thought it was a waste of her time. Went back to Pennsylvania, didn't know what happened. Well, the time she was out there for that two months for that internship, she met me. And later on in life, God brought us back together, and, and we ended up getting married, and now we're making babies, and great stuff's happening, right? And I'm, well, God knew what he was doing in that season, even though she had no idea, and I had no idea. Trust that God knows what he's doing in your season. Follow the direction that he has for you. Sell out to it and, and know that it doesn't all have to make sense right now. I think sometimes Christians put so much pressure on ourselves that we have to understand all the whys and everything that's going to happen. And most of the time, God's not going to give us all the information. Most of the time, he's going to give us enough information to do what he's telling us to do, and the answer is going to come later. So don't put that pressure on yourself. Um, next, I won't talk about very long. We talked about this last week, but follow wise counsel. Surround yourself with people who, who can speak into your life. Give people the permission to speak into your life. Ask them questions. And when I say people, I don't just mean like your four best friends or the people who retweet you the most. I mean like the people who, who you know are further ahead in the faith than you are, that you look up to, that have a spiritual maturity, uh, that, are gonna, that love you enough to tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it. Those are the people you need to surround yourself with and go to as you're seeking out your calling. Ask them, you know, I kind of feel like God's leading me to this. What do you think? Am I off? What, what am I missing? Let them help you talk through those things. Next, probably most importantly, follow peace. This applies in, in any situation where you're seeking God's will. Follow peace. Uh, when, when I came here, it was Church on the Horizon at the time, but when I took the job, um, I had interviewed at a place in California. I had interviewed at a place in Jackson, Mississippi. I had an interview lined up in Washington, D.C. Another one lined up in Michigan. I had done a phone interview in Florida. Had all these opportunities, and, and this one made the least sense by far. It was the lowest paying job. It was the smallest church. Like, it was, it was the one, if you looked at it in the natural, it was the easy one to cross off the list. So why did I end up here? Because this is where God gave me peace. This is where I had the peace. All the other opportunities that I had, Man, they, they made it made more sense. They might have had a bigger paycheck or a bigger youth ministry or a bigger budget. In fact, not might have. All of them had all those things. Um, but I didn't have peace. I had peace here. And I came where, where God was calling me. I didn't know what God was planning to do with it. I didn't know how my life would drastically change by moving to Mississippi. I never wanted to live in Mississippi. But I'm thrilled that I'm here now. I'm thrilled for what God's doing in my life. Um, so follow peace. Man, peace is never going to lie to you. The only problem with following peace is if you misdiscern, like, you, it's, hey, that's what I want to do, so I'm going to make myself think it's peace. But if you'll go before God and say, God, give me peace about this thing, that when, when, when it's you, let me know that it's peace. Listen to his voice. You're going you're gonna to feel that peace. You're going to know, okay, this is the right step for me to go. Uh, number seven, you're going to hate this one, but I'm just going to put it out there again. Don't be afraid to fast. If you need to hear from God, you want to find out what you're called to do, fast. The best illustration I've ever heard for fasting is just like sharpening an axe. In other words, like if you've got a tree to cut down and you go grab your axe or your dad's axe out of dad's garage or whatever and you go start trying to, to cut it down, that axe is probably pretty dull. It's probably been sitting around for a while and it might take you a couple hours to cut that tree down. If you're me, it might take you a ton of hours to cut that tree down. I'm not real good with an axe. Uh, but if you take the 10 minutes to go sharpen the axe and then you bring a sharp axe back to that tree, even me, I could take that tree down pretty quick. Spiritually, a lot of Christians are walking down 
walking around with some dull axes. We, we've got the axe. We've got the ability to make an impact, but it's not sharp. And what, what fasting does is, it, man, it sharpens that axe. You can hear from God, I believe, so much faster coming out of a fast, at least in my experience. I, I've heard some things that would have taken me three, four weeks to pray through. Man, I heard in a moment coming out of a fast. It sharpens the axe. And if you're wrestling with God's purpose and God's will, highly recommend that, that you, you take that step. Um, lastly, step out in faith. Step out in faith. A lot of times you're not going to know that you 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 know, right? Like there's going to be that, that, that little bit of doubt back there. And sometimes you're going to miss it. I have missed God spectacularly in my life. Uh, but, but what I encourage you to do is step out towards where you think God is leading. And if you miss it, He's going to be able to steer you and direct you. The biggest mistake we make is we get paralyzed. Well, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. My, car, my truck is much easier to turn once I put it in drive than it is when it's sitting in park. Right? Like once it's moving, that steering wheel will move a lot simpler. But when it's still in park, it's a struggle to get the steering wheel to move. And I think we're the same way spiritually. Like God can move us where he needs us to be if we're moving towards something a lot easier than if we're just hanging out. So step out in something. Step out into a ministry. You're not sure what ministry God has for you? Pick one and try it. And you may hate it, and it may be the worst decision you ever made, but you're going to know, and now God can direct you to something else. Don't just sit and wait. Well, one day God's going to show up, and he's going to tell me what to do. Biggest mistake a Christian can make. Step out in faith. Move towards where you, the best inclination you have of what God has for you, and, and continue to seek him, and he's going to direct you where he wants you. Real quick, we, we've got two more questions, but I'm going to buzz through. In fact, question three, we're just going to basically speak to with what we just had. It says, how do you know when you have the right answer after praying about it? Uh, number one, follow peace, follow peace, follow peace. Secondly, just, just very quickly, understand that God's answer will never violate God's word. Um, if you're praying about something, uh, you're praying about whether you should date that non-Christian, the answer is no. It just is. You don't need to pray about it. I just saved you some time. You pray about something more, more productive. Um, that's the answer. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. So there you go. God just spoke to you today. Praise God. Um, right? Like he speaks through his word. He's never going to violate his word in giving us an answer to a question. Um, and so understand that, that you can lean on those principles for sure. Um, God, do you want me to tell people about Jesus? The answer is yes. You don't have to ask him. He's why he brought you onto his team. He's sending you out. Now, you may need to pray specifically, okay, God, when should I talk to this person? Or how should I talk to them? But you don't have to ask them if you should talk to them. The answer is yes. Um, and then follow peace. And then last question, how do I find my relationship with God again after being out of touch with him for a long time? said that we would speak clearly when God's word speaks clearly. And I don't think I have to go to principle on this one. I think the Bible actually lays this out in black and white for us. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus has showed up to the apostle John. He's talking to John. He's telling him to write some letters to these different churches in, in what is today modern-day Turkey. And so he says, hey, to the church in Ephesus, the, the church that the book of Ephesians had been written to about 25, 30 years before, I want you to write this. And in Revelation 2 verse 4 he says this, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. See, he's writing to a church that, that at one point in time had been on fire for God. At one point in time had been reaching the lost, had been spreading the gospel, had been serving him wholeheartedly. And, and at some point, the church in Ephesus 
just kind of started going through the motions. At some point, the church in Ephesus just started getting into the, to the rut, getting into a routine. They were still a church. They were still showing up. They were still doing some good things, but, but God knew that he didn't have their heart anymore. So you, you, you've neglected your first love. And so he lays out the formula for him. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. So my question to say today is, you're here today, you're a Christian. And, and if you can look back at, at a previous version of you, three months ago, six years ago, 30 years ago, if you can look at a, at a previous version of you and say, that person loved Jesus more than I do today, that person served him more wholeheartedly than I do today. If you can look at that, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to put you down. I've been there. Trust me. I know what it's like. Here's what I am here to tell you. Repent and do the things you did at first. See, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same guy who wrote Revelation wrote that. So, so when we repent, what we're doing is we're confessing our sins. In other words, if, if you're here today and you look and you're like, man, I wish I was as close to God as I was at this point in my rearview mirror. First thing you need to do is repent and own it. Like confess as much specifically, as descriptively as possible what's happened between that previous you and where you are today. God, I, I got lazy and I quit reading my Bible. God, I, I got frustrated and I lashed out in anger. God, I, I got bitter and I held on to that unforgiveness. God, I just lost faith and I quit trusting you. Whatever it is, man, be specific as you possibly can. Why? Not because if you're not specific, God's not gonna forgive you? No, I'm not saying that. God, God's already forgiven you. That's why Jesus paid the price for you. It's confessing your sin. It's breaking the power of that sin over your life when you bring it out to him. So confess it as specifically as you possibly can. That's the first thing to do. And then secondly, once you've repented, do the things you did before when you were closer to Jesus. What did your prayer life look like back then? What did your worship look like back then? What did your time with God look like back then? What, what did your serving look like back then? What did your giving look like back then? What, what, what did it look like? Where, where's the difference? Get back to that. And, and you may not, you say, well, back then I did those things because it was easy because I was in love with them. Do it even without the passion if you don't have the passion now. And it's gonna jumpstart the passion. And then let me say this last of all. The goal is not for you to become this previous version of you. The goal is for you to become who God designed you to be. We're just using that previous version of you to help you get back on track. So, so the goal is not, hey, I wanna be at this point because the Bible says God takes us from glory to glory to glory. So I believe God's got a better version of you even than that one in your rear view mirror. God's got a better version of you than that one that, that existed six months ago or three years ago that, that, that he's raising you up towards. And there's no condemnation that you're not there today, but understand this, it's better. It's just better. So let's sell out to it. Let's embrace what he has in our lives. And if you're here today and that's you, I'm just gonna encourage you, repent, do the things you did before. And I guarantee you, you can get back there. The beauty of 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let, let me close with this. That's instantaneous. In other words, if you're here today, because I've been in that place where I could look back and say, how did I fall from this, this place with God? And I get under condemnation. And then enemy be like, okay, no, you're gonna have to prove it. You're gonna have to walk out of here and you need to read your Bible every day for the next six months for God to know you're serious this time. And I put like all this condemnation on myself or received all this condemnation from the enemy. That's a lie. 
Jesus says, confess your sins and I'm forgiving you right now. The word repent literally means, it's the combination of two words. It's a combination of return and, and pent is the same root for penthouse, right? So what it literally means is to return to the highest level. A penthouse hotel room is the highest hotel room that there is. It's the most expensive one. It's the best one. So when you repent, you don't get back in on the ground floor with God and now you got to work your way back up. When you repent, he returns you and restores you to the highest level. And that's an awesome, awesome thing. So let's do it. If we need to repent, let's repent today. Let's get right with God because God needs to raise up a generation who's going to impact this world. Man, this world needs Jesus. Our families need Jesus. Our loved ones need Jesus. We need Jesus.